Are you ready, ladies? Stand tall. Straighten those crowns and show them what you're made of. You're listening to the Farm Queen Podcast. This week's queen, Holly, is joining us, and she is somebody that we are, as always, excited to get to hear from. Um, their farm has been growing and growing. They are at markets in their area, and she was described by Wendy as just being warm and friendly, having such a commitment to the markets and to what they do with their farm, um, being committed to raising their animals well. And Holly holds down a day job around all of this. So the fact that she's running a farm and busy for somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, full-time hours a week outside of this certainly is a testament to her passion for what she does on her farm. So Holly, welcome. Thank you for joining us. If you would please introduce yourself in your own words, tell us about your farm, where it is, what you do, how long you've been at it, day in the life, all that good stuff. Okay, my name is Holly Beakley, and our farm is Plum Rocky Farm, and it's spelled with a B, Plum, like P-L-U-M-B, and that means true, and it's named that because we joke that we can grow more rocks than anything else on our farm. Um, Also, we live basically on top of a giant rock. There is probably not one inch of flat ground, Um, so we felt that the name was very appropriate and also my husband and I started our farm when we were in our 50s and decided that that was a very rocky decision Um, and also we feel that God is our rock so um, the name was more appropriate for for our farm. Um, We are located in Leonardsville, New York. Our address says West Winfield but that is due to the Rural Postal Service Um, So we are about four miles south of Bridgewater um, and nestled kind of in a little valley, a very beautiful piece of land. Um, We sell a variety of different um, meat products and they're specifically heritage breeds for the most part. Um, We have Osama Island hogs. We have the Jersey cows that we use for our beef and Roseville. We also have Icelandic lambs, um, Ancona ducks that we use for eggs, and then we have a hodgepodge of goats and chicken um, egg uh, egg layers. Um, Our focus is kind of on nutrition and real food and the flavor of food and the nutritional benefit that you can get from <clears throat> these foods. So I'm really a foodie into slow foods, into um, eating healthy. Both my husband and I have had um, medical issues over the years and had been told repeatedly, eat as close to the earth as possible to help heal your body. So that is really our focus is to try to help teach people that through nutrition and eating healthy, you can feel better. But many times eating healthy or more nutritious 
doesn't taste good. And with me really being a foodie, I wanted more from my food and my healthy food. So we picked different heritage breed animals that had nutritional benefits and flavor. Um, our first one is the Osaba Island hog. It is a critically endangered species. And right off the bat, people say, why do you raise something that's critically endangered? And doing that actually keeps the animal alive. It becomes important to people and people support it. And um, that way it matters. And people you know, will be willing to donate to keep the island uh, pristine and stuff like that. They believe um, the Osvalds were left on the island in the uh, 1500s by the Spaniards. There's not a lot of food on the island, so they have mutated over time. They actually stay in a pre-diabetic state and their fat is equivalent to olive oil and their meat is a rich red meat. It's not the other white meat that you buy in the grocery store. Um, it, is, it has incredible flavor. We kind of stumbled upon it when we first started wanting to raise pigs for ourselves. Um, the first batch of piglets that we purchased had part Osabot in them. And then the next batch, we just bought regular white pigs and we decided that it didn't taste the same. So I went back and did some research at what was in the original breed that we had bought mix in the first batch of piglets. And I was able to find that this Osabot um, is so well known for the quality of its fat and the flavor of its meat. And so we use Osabot Island hog um, sows, the females are purebred. And then we use a heritage breed mix for the boar. And we kind of change that out over time. Um, another thing we raise is Icelandic sheep and they are smaller than sheep that most people raise for meat, um, but we just absolutely love them. They come in all different colors. So when we have babies, it's kind of like Christmas. You don't know what, what colors you're gonna get. And they're really neat uh, sheep because they are three purpose sheep. They actually um, can produce milk. You can milk Icelandics. You can use them for meat. And they have a dual coat wool that they are actually shared twice a year. Um, and their wool is actually waterproof. So um, they're really an amazing uh, sheep. And they're actually one of uh, the oldest and purest sheep um, that exist. Um, the next thing we raise is beef and rose veal. And everyone says, what is rose veal? So rose veal and meadow veal and pasture veal are all pretty much the same thing. We use Jersey cows for both our beef and rose veal. So the calves, when they're born, stay on the mother and run around out to pasture. They're never um, put into those little huts or um, kept apart from their mom. And they absorb or enjoy all the wonderful milk that a Jersey cow can produce with all of the cream. And it makes an incredible rich red meat, not white like traditional veal, because of the fact that it runs around and is out to pasture and is not eating an iron deficient diet. Um, it actually has more protein than grass fed beef and more 
omega fatty acids, ALAs, because of being um, on the milk with the mom all the time. And we raise them until they're around eight to 10 months of age. So they're not babies when they go. Um, they frequently are almost as big as the mom. And so, and then we use the same Jersey calf for our beef, only we raise it longer, but it's still less than two years old, um, like traditional beef. And the meat is just amazing. And again, maintains the quality of being milk fed. So all the benefits of like, if we chose to drink raw milk every day, goes into the beef and the rose veal to make it more nutritious and flavorful and rich. And the fat is amazing. Um, and so it's a really healthy choice for red meat. Um, what else? Oh, the other um, endangered species we have is the um, Ancona ducks. So they're, um, again, another reason to keep them is because that's what keeps the species alive. They're a white and black duck. They are very fun to watch run around the farm. Um, and our laying hens are just a whole mix of different kinds. So we say we raise rainbow eggs. Um, we also offer uh, chicken, organically raised chicken and turkeys and sockeye salmon. I kind of forgot to say that we raise all of our animals out on pasture with organic practices. Um, we have chosen not to be organic certified because we feel that the animals that we use for our breeding are part of our farm and we don't want to just have to not keep it if it is very sick and has to be treated. Um, we have really only had that happen one time in all the years we've been farming. Um, we have had to treat a couple babies, but traditionally none of the breeding stock. So we feel we follow the organic practices as close as possible and um, pasture raised. And our goal is um, to be sustainable for us and other farms. So our farm is so hilly that for us, initially we raised our own chickens. Um, the chicken tractors actually have a very difficult time on our uneven ground. And so we partnered with another farm that was small and was willing to raise the chickens and turkeys the way we raised them. My husband went every, last year was our first year, he went every week and checked on the turkeys and the chickens to make sure they were being raised the same way we raised them with organic grains and um, out to pasture in the way they should be. And so we partnered with another farm, Featherbrook Farm, to raise our chickens and turkeys for us. Um, and that has made a big difference for us. It's, it's, it's really been beneficial. We're able to have more available. Um, and then the other thing we did is we partnered with a small family that lives in Pennsylvania and goes up to Alaska every year to harvest sockeye salmon. And the reason we decided to do that is kind of twofold. Um, we wanted to have more to offer our customers to have a healthy diet, a very well-rounded healthy diet. Um, and all of the vegetable farmers are right next to us at the farmer's market. So we feel like the vegetable is vegetables are available right there. And now we offer chicken and turkey and salmon and pork.
pork and beef and rose veal and lamb um, and goat. So we, I guess I skipped the goat, goat meat. Um, but we really feel like the more we can offer for people to have nutritious, healthy meals, the more we're helping them. And in the end, hopefully that is helping all farmers because the more that people buy from local farms that are sustainable and that are humanely raising their animals in an organic or natural way, people are using their money to vote and show what they want, what their choices, they're making good choices with their money. And so that helps farms become sustainable. Um, so that's one of our, our big goals. Um, I have been farming kind of all my life. Growing up, we raised rabbits for food, sometimes chickens for eggs. Um, although I lived in Oneida, the part that I lived in was pretty rural. Now it isn't anymore. Um, but my dad's family had owned a family store and they raised meat that they sold in the far, uh, at their store. And so that kind of carried over. So growing up, we always had rabbits and they were primarily mine to take care of. Um, so I learned a lot about rabbit breeds and what makes and doesn't make a good rabbit to be raising for me. Um, my parents bought the farm that I live on. My mom and dad wanted a good place for us to be able to learn about nature, conservation, um, environmental issues, and be able to run around, be dirty, and play. Um, so somewhere in the late 60s, my mom and dad bought this farm that we now live on. We never lived there growing up. My girls and I moved there in 2009. Um, my dad and mom told, taught us a lot about like wild edibles. We harvested ramps and fiddleheads, um, the wood snails and frog legs. Um, and, and really, I feel that that's part of our sustainability, learning to eat all of the things that are around us. And um, I'm always picking something and trying to figure out if it's edible. Um, I moved away, lived in Florida and North Carolina for about 20 years in North Carolina. My girls and I, we raised um, chickens that were for eggs, but we also ate them. And we also had horses. And then in 2008, I moved back to New York and asked my parents if I would be able to put a house on the farm. They were thrilled. And so we moved to the farm. And one of the agreements to move back to New York was that I would have goats for the girls and one daughter has some milk intolerance. And so we milked our goats um, and had horses and chickens and began, began farming um, the three of us. In 2012, I met Hank online on Farmers Only and he was farming in Michigan. He used draft horses and he raised chickens, Icelandic sheep, um, and made maple syrup, sold all his wool. Um, so they were, he was a perfect match. So he came and joined our farm and that's when Plum Rocky Farm became in existence. Um, he brought his Icelandic lambs with him and his draft horse and that added to our little farm. 
then one day we were still just raising the food for ourselves. I was listening to farm part podcasts and decided that we needed to have pigs. And that's how it really just started. We started raising all of this food for ourselves. We ate the goat meat from the offspring, the Icelandic sheep and the pork. We had chickens for eggs, um, a few wheat birds. And anytime anybody asked to try any of our meat or would come to dinner, they would tell us that it was exceptional and it was so different. And what were we doing differently? and encouraged us to start selling it at the farmer's market. And so we've just slowly grown more and more. And so we're at two farmer's markets. You can come to the farm and purchase things. Um, I think that's it. What did I miss? No, I think you, I think you got it all. That definitely explains, you know, what okay. you've been doing <laughs> and, and why I do, I do actually want to know, um, you mentioned like the hog breed and I, I say it again, cause my, I didn't know how to spell it. And <laughs> it's awesome. I awesome. That's it. So you mentioned that like they're endangered and you mentioned the ducks as well. And I understand what you're saying when you say like, it tastes good. We mix it in with our heritage breed boar and, you know, like we know what we're doing. We're getting the right flavor that we want. But why was it specifically important to you to continue doing an endangered breed? Because that is definitely a unique feature of your farm. I, I can't say that I've typically heard of people that are, you know, it's more of like, just get a pig. How fast does it grow? The faster I get it to the butcher, the faster I get paid for it. Right. And right. so you've kind of got something different going on here that instead of focusing on, you know, the typical, we'll call them farmer metrics of feed conversion and, you know, the age that they're butchered, you care more about a very different aspect of it. So what is it about the the idea or the the process of kind of working with this endangered breed that like where did that where did that ever start from? What made you keep doing it? <laughs> Why go down that road? Right. Um we started out with them, like I said, because of the flavor. I really am very focused on how good food tastes. I think because of, like I said, everybody's like, oh, you need to eat healthy, but who wants to eat healthy? It doesn't taste as good, but it <laughs> actually can. And so when I started to learn about this Oswald Island hog that was in that first batch that made the meat so incredibly delicious that I'm, I try to explain to people like pork chops can be your, oh my gosh, I forgot to make dinner. Uh, dinner because really good pork chops can be made in 20 minutes everybody thinks that it's like a long thing to cook well you know um hamburger helper still takes 20 minutes but instead you can have these really healthy amazing pork chops in 20 minutes um, and you can eat all the fat and not feel guilty and so when we started learning about them and then the fact that they're studied because they stay in a pre-diabetic state. So they're actually helping the medical field learn why can they stay in that state and never become sick. Diabetes is like this huge problem in the United States because right. we don't eat well mm -hmm. <laughs> and we eat processed food. And so 
it's just really important to have these animals available for research. And it's important that things exist in their natural state. So kind of like what you said, really none of our animals we have picked because they grow fast or because they're larger. You know, the Jersey beef is has incredible flavor and it's known to have incredible flavor. But the bone to ratio um, processing is not good. It's nowhere near what you get out of a beef cow. But yet we have found that the Jersey meat is so rich and so delicious and is so much healthier for you because of the milk. It's beyond grass fed. So it's worth it to us to produce a product that is better for you, even though crazy as it is, maybe not as beneficial for us as a farm. And the same thing is with the pigs and the Ancona ducks. You know, it's really, it's once you start having one critically endangered animal, you're like, ooh, what else can I have? <laughs> because it's a really interesting concept. Everybody thinks that if something's critically endangered, we should not touch it. But it isn't true. Having people be interested in it and realize that it's amazing for multiple reasons is what keeps it alive because then people pay attention to it. So that's, that's really why, why we're involved with them. They, they need to be able to be sustainable or stay alive because they're so important as part of this world, as part of the medical field, and as amazing food. It's really interesting. I think, I don't know. I don't know that I'd be cut out for that, but... I think it's amazing <laughs> you're doing that. Yeah. I think it's Yeah, I think it's amazing you're doing that. Um how how long would you say it took cuz you said you know you're focusing on the flavors and that sort of stuff. How long would you say it took for you guys to really like I'm assuming there was maybe a little bit of experimentation along the way to really kind of iron it out and be like okay, this is the combination. This is what we're doing like no more research, no more second guessing, you know. We got it like we got it locked yeah. down. How how long did that take you guys? A couple of years. It took us a couple of years to have a couple different, um, that initial uh, batch of piglets and the next ones that were a disaster. Um, mm. Well, I know, not really. I mean, to us as foodies, they were not as good. Gotcha. And um, then we really just doing a bunch of research, I was able to whittle down that the Asaba probably was where the flavor came from. And then once I learned about that their fat is equivalent to olive oil um, and all the other aspects of it, the meat is rich and flavorful. Um, we just decided we would try an Asaba sow. We would try to see if we could find that. And like you said, near impossible in New York state, they are um, typically five hours away for us to get a new sow. So, um, yeah, we have made some decisions that our ways aren't the easiest for our farm, but we're really dedicated to the breeds and the, what they produce and that we can offer something better for people. So That's it took really... us a couple of years, I would say two, three years. Yeah. And then the Jersey cows kind of developed, we decided we wanted a milk cow and Again, farms have to stay sustainable. So what can we do with that offspring besides 
what happens to a lot of Jersey cabs is a really sad story. So what other options do we have? I always love to research different things and, and figure out how can you make it better? What can you do different? How can it be better for the environment and our land, everybody else's land, our health? And so with researching, I found out that in Europe, there are farms that do this rose veal or meadow veal or pasture veal and that the value of the meat was so much better because of the milk and being out to pasture and so our first calf we tried that and of course even though you know you think it's a calf but it's a 10 month old calf it's big we had a lot of meat and so we started sharing it and everybody was just like, okay, what is this? This is so amazing. And the fat in the veal and the beef will hold the color from the, you know, like the milk in the summer has that kind of like rich yellowing color to it because there's so much mm -hmm. cream in Jersey milk. And that actually carries over into the fat in the calves so it's not white fat like that is in so much beef that is not healthy for you this fat is like that rich creamyish yellow color so the first calf first couple of calves actually that we had processed and um, first beef they actually called us and said you might need to come look at this because we're not sure it's okay and it was a local butcher and we already knew that it would be this coloring or we were hoping it would be this coloring because it means then that all the benefits of the grass and the rich omega-3s and grass fed is in the fat. And so the fat is healthy for mm. you to eat. And we were super excited. We went and checked it out. We're like, nope, this is normal. Um, so we're now actually, again, making our life as difficult as possible. We take our animals to a butcher in northern Vermont. It's three and a half hours away. They're animal humane um, certified. We know the butcher and the people that take care of our animals. The, the first time we went, we actually stayed for a good part of the day to make sure that our animals were taken care of the way they said they were going to and that they were humanely put down. Um, we named majority of our animals, they mean a lot to us. And so we're really particular about all the aspects of what we raise. And so we drive all the way to Vermont to mm -hmm. a butcher who knew about Roseville and how to process the calf properly. And then the differences in our beef. So our beef is very tender and we're actually able to make like veal cutlets out of our beef. So, um, it's worth us for to drive to Vermont to have someone who's specialized and knows how to handle the meat and that takes care of the animals the way we want them to be taken care of at the end. That is the epitome of dedication right there. Without question to drive, <laughs> to drive that far just to get exactly the right butcher. I mean, that's yeah i'm i'm i applaud you for that that's got to be a definite um <laughs> definite dent in your calendar in your free time we'll put it that way that we have to take the animals but then also at a later date you have to go and pick everything up and our smoke right. products actually 
um, go to a different part of Vermont. The smoked uh, products go mm -hmm. to Northern Kingdom, which is even further north in Vermont, um, because he makes nitrate-free smoked products. Ooh. And again, our focus is for it to be mm -hmm. as healthy as possible. And you not to have to feel guilty about eating smoked foods or your fat or any of that stuff. It's good for you. It's healthy for your body. So, um, yeah, so our smoke um, items take um, anywhere from a month to two months to come back because oh, of wow. where they go. Mm -hmm. That's a long turnaround. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. Is that just yeah. as a curiosity, is that um, is that a smoker situation where they actually like actually would smoke them or is yes. it oh that must be the difference yeah because i they i do. i know a lot of butchers are turning to the liquid smoke because you can just do it for you know like a few days or a week and it's like oh it tastes fine because it's that liquid smoke yeah. instead of the actual smoking process yes so, yeah, that that's... would be chemically based smoke and so ours is not a chemical base right right yeah that's a no i'm i'm i applaud you for that that's a huge difference but that <laughs> explains it explains the the length of time it takes for you to be able to go get them get them back again because yeah. everything everything else seems to be like all about how quickly can we get it in one door and out the other and right you know it's good enough right. and it is it is abundantly clear that you have probably spent a heck of a lot of nights doing a heck of a lot of research and reading <laughs> to really yeah. understand, I mean, you understand your breeds, you clearly understand like your pastures and your timing, you know, you're particular about timing when your calves are born and when they're getting the right, the cream and the pasture and the lush grass, and all of that. And yeah, that's, uh, yep. that's quite the orchestration you've got going on there. We really like good food. <laughs> <laughs> Simply put, we do it because we like good food. Yeah. If that's, yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of people that could listen that would be like, well, I like good food too, but I'm not going to put out the extra time for it. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. No, I, yep. I applaud it's you guys it. for what you're doing. It's, it's, yep. And then, and to be able to explain to people that the food is healthier, it can be healthier and taste amazing. It doesn't have to taste yucky or plain or, you know, you don't have to cut all your fat off or never cook with oil. You know, the Osaba fat, you know, you can use the lard and the bacon grease and it's, it's okay. So right. that improves all the things you can cook. Yep. Yeah. And the fat that's marbled in the meat, it's good for you. Eat it and enjoy it. That's why we do it. Amen to that. So we'll shift gears Ooh, just yeah. a little bit here. We'll shift gears just a little bit because everybody always waits for the question. How did it feel to be crowned as farm queen this week? Wonderful. <laughs> it was really exciting for me um, to actually be acknowledged as more than just another person, another female farmer. I like that I actually maybe do something special um, and that people appreciated it. And I really got to see that when I posted yesterday um, that I got the farm queen crown and all the customers and friends are all, and my, even coworkers off my off farm job were like, you deserve it. So that felt just amazing to me. I wasn't, wasn't really sure at first, 
you know, I was like, was I just a, like an easy choice? Um, or do I really deserve it? But then I think all the positive feedback has really made me feel like, okay, maybe I do. It's kind of cool. I love it. Yeah. And I, I think it's great to encourage other female farmers that what they're doing is awesome too, you know, and that they should just keep striving to, to do better and, and enjoy their farming experience. So I'm hoping that, you know, being farm queen will help other female farmers who sometimes think that, you know, we're just kind of in the background, that we're really not, that we really are one of the building blocks of what makes the farm function. Well said. Yeah, you are definitely not an easy choice or afterthought or anything of, of that realm. If you knew the conversations we have with, with most every queen offline, off the recording, without question, if you've got the crown, you are the standout of the standouts as far as, as far as we've heard. So well earned this week without question. And if anybody's listening, not really registering in their head that, you know, you drive how many hours for one animal to go, you know, or two animals to go to the butcher, you take them, you come back, you take them, you come back. The dedication, the research, all of that is, it's, it's very clear why you were selected. Very clear. Thank you. You are a rare breed Thank for you. your passion for what you're doing. You did mention, you kind of started to answer my next question about, you know, women are not just in the sidelines. We are one of the critical building blocks for the farm. So what, what is one of the more common misconceptions that you have come across for women in farming, women in agriculture? I think really, I've kind of, well, I listened to a few of the different podcasts that are of the women you have and similar things. I haven't had a terrible experience um, with being a female farmer. Um, probably the biggest thing, and we joke around about it at, at our house, is that my husband is Hank and he's farmer Hank at the markets and I'm Holly. And I find it interesting that I'm not farmer Holly. And I think that is the preconceived idea that the male is the farmer and I'm just part of the farm. But I'm Farmer Holly just as much as he is Farmer Hank. So um, that probably is my one thing. I think people don't realize that a farm can't run on just the farming aspect. Um, I in the last year or so, started taking some marketing classes and really learned that you can produce all the most amazing food in the world, but it doesn't matter if it's sitting in your freezers. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to teach people and explain to people the value of your product and why you're doing what you're doing. And so that is part of of my role it's not my only role on the farm but that is my new role on the farm and and it has made a big difference for us and so i think people need to learn that whether it's two women that own the farm or two men that own the farm or a husband and wife that have the farm each of them is a building block like i said to have the farm stand on and each of us have our own skills and gifts and 
that is what makes the farm and it can't just stand alone it has to have those multiple people to make the farm functional and profitable and healthy and so um, I wish that people realized um, that women are just as important. I put up the hay. I actually am the person who does the castration and the banding and my off-farm job, I'm in the medical field. So I take care of all the boo-boos and abscesses. And <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we have two daughters, they're grown now, but when they were on the farm, um, this seems kind of comical, but women tend to have smaller hands. And so we actually are very good at a lot of medical things that need to be done, like the, the banding or the castrating or helping to pull out a lamb or a baby goat that isn't coming out properly because our hands fit and <laughs> Hank's hands don't. <laughs> and so I actually would like to post a picture with the two girls and their and put little crowns on them because both of them are crown women farmers. We have mm -hmm. had one daughter um, have to sew up a uterus that was coming out and one daughter, um, their famous things, and she had to pull out mummified babies oh that gosh. were in a sheep because nobody's hands fit in but hers. And she was about 12. So wow. I think women, you know, women farmers are underestimated. We can do anything we need to do. And because I think we have those female skills, we have the wanting to care for things that are it's just naturally part of us. We make outstanding farmers, whether we're caring for plants or animals, it doesn't really matter. We have, have this nurturing part of a female that should be honored because that's what makes great farmers. I'm leaving some silence after that intentionally because man, was that a statement? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was like a, a statement and a speech and all in one that deserves its whole own soundbite right there. Um, yeah, you, you just, yeah, you blew that out of the park. Um, you answered oh, the next question you. too, which is, which is, you know, what, if, what do you want your customers to know about the life of a farm woman? I mean, that, that covers it for sure is that we are there and we are doing it. And as you said, sometimes we're better suited for it than the man would be. So, yep. so I, I, yep. I'm kind of going back to your, your farm name for this next, you know, next question here of, um, you know, you mentioned like where the word, the rock comes from and, and all of that. And, and in terms of, you know, this is not an easy life that we live and you are, as you've said, making it harder <laughs> with some of the the drive <laughs> times or some of the breeds or the decisions you make. Um, so given that there's, you know, a lot of uphill difficulties with this farming life, what is it that keeps you going? You know, and you are, you are definitely in, in a more unique situation than some that you've said you've gotten to this farm later in terms of your kind of, your starting it up. Um, and so that, you know, that alone is like, we're starting the farm later in life. I'm not, you know, 18, 20, 25, fresh young chicken. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not either, but, um, you know, it definitely poses some different challenges as well. So what is it that keeps you going despite whatever hardships or self-imposed difficulties you might come up against? 
Um, I think the, one of the big things is having a job that is not farm related. I've been in the medical field. I'm a physical therapist for 33 years this summer. And being able to come home, it is a, the medical field is a difficult place to be in the last mm -hmm. five years. And I come home and I want to take my shoes off and put my feet in the dirt or the grass and just feel grounded. Nature is healing and grounding. It makes you centered. It makes you remember what's the important things in life. And so I think that is one of the big things that my husband and I just really feel like what would heal us on a day-to-day -day basis if we mm -hmm. didn't do this job. He's a carpenter off the farm. I do my thing off the farm. You come home and yes, things are crazy. Like this morning, my goats were loose again. <laughs> and you think, oh my gosh, why are we doing this? There's got to be an easier way. And we talk about, do we want to just work our off-farm jobs? We would make more money and we'd work less hours. And mm -hmm. over and over again, when we do our yearly assessment, we decide to keep farming and to do it the way we're doing it. So I think it's just that we really do feel what we do is important for us and for others. The farm life is healing and just so, it's just so amazing, you know, what happens with every season and that it kind of keeps you focused on more than just social media and fast food and fancy clothes. So I think that's why we do it. And since we have such poor internet, it's easy to stay focused. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely helps minimize distractions unintentionally. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it just, it's really an important thing. I mean, what's, what's going to happen if we all stop farming, you know? And mm -hmm. I, I said that I am taking that a marketing class. It's been amazing. Um, and the first thing also that she teaches you is that you can't do this if you don't have self-care. <clears throat> and I know one of your questions is what would our advice be for future mm -hmm. farm teams? Yep. And I think this is my recommendation or suggestion for all people that farm. <clears throat> If you don't take time for yourself, and I didn't for years, and if you don't learn to master your mind and your thoughts of what's happening, you can't make it. Like 75% of the farms go out in five years, and it's because of the stress. So you need to take 15 minutes, 30 minutes every morning, every night, and do your meditation, tapping, yoga, read, whatever it is, walk in the pasture for your own mental stability. And then learning that you do have the choice to control the looping and fear that occurs because of the difficulty of farm life by thinking and planning those things will keep you going and keep you profitable and not have you burn out in five years. Well said. 
I don't even want to have to ask anything after that, but I have to. I have to ask at least <laughs> one more question. You can. You jumped ahead because I always I want to I want to end the episode with that like again a statement kind of Sorry. thing. Um, that's okay. <laughs> Um, the last thing I had to ask you was just where can people find you and follow along? Because I know that I wish you were closer for me to, to buy some beef from you, but where can they find you on, you know, online or on social? What do we got? Mm -hmm. Um, so we have a website and it's plumrockyfarm.com. We have an online store and all of our products are on there, including our salmon. We, um, Try to encourage people to make their life easier this way. You can pre-order, prepay, and just come up to the market, and I'll hand it to you, and you can go. Oh, and we're on Facebook, and we're on Instagram. Perfect. Perfect. We'll link those, and people can get to you in whatever way is the right way for them. So even though you gave the advice to future farm queens already, any last words to round this out? Inspiration, motivation, whatever it might be. Write down your dream and why you're farming and why it's important to you <clears throat> and have it someplace that you can see it. And then when you're having a really bad day, just sit back and think about what are the benefits of the farm that are healthy for you not your customers, not your spouse. Why are you doing it for you? And see if that doesn't help you stay focused and keep going. And to really make sure you make that time to keep yourself healthy, mentally and physically, and to have time to rest. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support our podcast by clicking the link in the description, by subscribing through your favorite podcast app, and by following us on your favorite social media platform. 